Scent World is an original series presented by Scentbird, a fragrance subscription service that brings you luxury designer scents every month for $16.95. Unlock 50% off your first month at Scentbird.com. Hi, welcome to Scent World. We're thrilled to have you as we explore the power of self-expression through scent. Each episode is a multi-sensory experience that comes with an audio and video version. See the options available at podcast.scentbird.com. Now, let's get started. Today, we are featuring Douglas Little the perfumer and founder of Heretic, based in Los Angeles, California. Douglas says that from a young age, he understood that a rebellious nature lived within him and was fighting for his voice. He's not afraid to be polarizing and unapologetically himself. That's the driving force behind Heretic. The brand is an expression of his intense love of nature and is on a mission to show the provocative side of naturals and the dirty side of clean. In this episode, Douglas sits down with Heather Hyatt, who runs social media at Scentbird. He breaks down his process for handcrafting fragrances that elicit a visceral and often erotic reaction. He takes us back to the day he met Gwyneth Paltrow and the story behind This Smells Like My Vagina Candle, one of the creations he's best known for in collaboration with Goop. Let rebellion be your driving force with Douglas Little on Scent World. So we're going to start with your personal story because I know you've always been this sensorial kid. So can you kind of tell us how it all started for you? So my background and my story is uh, its very humble. Um, I grew up in Southern California, specifically in Los Angeles and even more specifically in the Valley. And um, both my family, both my parents were photographers. And so uh, while it sounds cliche, I literally grew up in a dark room. And uh, my earliest memories, when people say, what is your earliest scent memory? My very first scent memory is the smell of uh, the developing fluid inside of the dark room. And uh, that I can vividly remember the glowing red light and then the smell of developers. And my parents would put me in a sling on their back and they would develop their photographs. And uh, so that was my childhood. I, I love that. And I have a quote from you here and I wanna get this correct, so I'm gonna read the card. But you said that you understood that a rebellious nature lived within you and was fighting for your voice. Can you share what you mean by that? Sure, I mean, you know, with. If we're going to really peel back the onion today, I'm going to really, uh, <laughs> we are. I'm going to let it all out. Um, you know, I grew up in a fairly religious household. So, you know, I grew up and went to a private Christian Catholic school uh, with a lot of those ideas and very quickly as a youth decided that this was not for me. Uh, I, at a very young age, had a pretty clear understanding that for me personally, uh, the universe was very much made up of the masculine and the feminine. And I didn't understand a religion that spoke only of the masculine. And so I quickly abandoned a lot of those ideas and started down my own path of exploring a lot of different religions, a lot of different ideas. 
and also becoming much more accepting of the world at large and being very curious. And I think that curiosity is what makes a really brilliant perfumer because you have to be curious about different cultures, about different foods, about different ways of life. And, you know, by my kind of releasing a lot of the guilt that I had been taught through religion, I all of a sudden was allowing myself to experience being human and being in touch with something that was so much greater than uh, than what I was kind of conditioned to. And that is what's really led me down this path of when I talk about rebelling and I talk about uh, going against the grain, it really is my voice of speaking as that child that was taught and conditioned to a lot of these ideas that for me didn't fit. Right. And, uh, and I've chosen now as an adult to make a very different decision about the way that I want to be as a person right. and how I want to create as an artist. I think that's really powerful. And I think that what makes a really awesome brand, no matter what it is, whether it's fragrance or clothing, is the human element behind it. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of focus on when you studied in France. Can you take me there in your life and that point in your life? A little bit about that journey for you. You know, it was really around a lot of rebellion and it was a lot around, you know, it was was cloaked in in a very challenging time of my life. you know, I grew up with a family that did not have very much money at all. Uh, and in some cases, I guess, would be seen on the lower spectrum of, of what is considered income and even poverty at points. Growing up with parents as artists was challenging. You know, we were, the, the theory of feast or famine was very true. And so when the idea of travel, the idea of Europe, the idea of these kind of like, ideas that are very glossy and grandiose were very far from my reality. You know, the fact was is that there was many weeks where we were faced with how are we going to try to make $20 stretch for a week of groceries. I can relate to that. Yeah. For and sure. I mean, you know, there a lot was, of people can. Of course. But you yeah. know, the thing is, it's funny about this is that for so long I had so much shame around this. And now I know as, what an, you mean. as an adult, I am very proud of it. And I'm yeah. very proud of the humble upbringings and you know, the times that we were threatened with being evicted from our apartment and the challenges that we faced. And it made me who I am today. Probably a very hard worker. I'm an extremely hard worker and extremely focused. Totally. Um, So I started going to design school pretty early uh, on, was accepted, um, and then took a, was actually asked to work at a large cosmetic company uh, at the age of 19, which was crazy. Wow. Um, And I just, you know, I think was growing up in the world that I did, I felt very comfortable existing in an adult world much more than I did as a, in the world of adolescence. Right. And uh, then when the opportunity came, when I was working with this cosmetic company to travel to Europe, uh, I took it hook, line and sinker and uh, got there and then decided that I was going to basically kind of abandon my post. And I ran off with a bunch of artists and found this amazing perfumer and kind of stumbled into perfumery and stumbled into, you know, the the world of all of it and uh, almost lost my job. Like it was really, it was a <laughs> wild moment in my life. And wow. uh, I wasn't speaking to my family. And, you know, I was like, I had just kind of decided that my life was going to be, I was going to just be this expat that was going to, you know, stumble around Europe. And uh, 
you know, I came to my senses pretty quickly, but the fragrance aspect was this amazing pivotal moment for me where I really found my calling. It was about pure escapism. Right. And this again, kind of going back into France and about learning perfumery and all of it, it was full immersion. You know, it was a full escape from say, my reality. Would you say that's what drew you to fragrance in the first place? Or oh, was yes. it the smells? So it was just It was escapism. escapism. It was always escapism for me. And it oh. was about the fact that fragrance was this, it was like this mysterious material that allowed me to be transported to some other place. In uh, When I was in junior high school, there was a, a place called Herb Products Inco Incorporated, and it was located on uh, Magnolia Boulevard, deep, fairly deep valley. And uh, after school, I would walk there and um, I would take their catalog and they had this uh, this catalog that was like, a, it looked like the yellow pages. It was this <laughs> massive, massive catalog. And it, the catalog, I remember, was like $5 to buy it. And um, and I would at night go home and I would just thumb through this catalog and just mesmerized and trying to save up money to go back and buy, you know, like the crazy essential oils that they had and things. And I had started, you know, kind of this curious collection of oils and roots and herbs and spices and, you know, understanding the metaphysical, understanding, uh, you know, their spiritual associations, their uh, ethnobotanical associations. And it really, that's when I realized I was like, this is my path. This is really what I want to do. Although I had no idea how I was going to make a business or how I was going to make a living doing right. it. And that's really where my time in France started to teach me some of those things. And then I came back to the States, um, spent the rest of my 20s working in this cosmetic company and developing out, uh, how, understanding how to develop products, how to develop cosmetic products, and certainly how to work with fragrance. And then I started my first company when I was 30 which was wow. a candle company. I know that you're really renowned for the goop candle. Mm. And I want to dig in there for sure. And I I but first I'd like to fast forward to 2008. And I know that you were on a panel and it was as you describe it kind of like a lightning bolt moment of heretic and that's kind of where the the idea of heretic came about. Can you kind of tell us about that story and walk us through that? So I was um, it the it was towards the well it was the last year of my working with the my first company, which was the candle company, and uh, the company had gained a lot of notoriety. Um, and my products at that time, I developed a bunch of candles, not a bunch, but several candles that were all inspired by uh, poisonous flowers and plants. And the storyline was about that sometimes the things that we're the most attracted to are the most poisonous and the most dangerous. Isn't that the truth? And so you can see that there's always a bit of an underlying story with the work that I do and kind of where the inspirations spring from. Um, but that company had done well. It had kind of really established itself within the luxury world um, and was a very expensive candle at that time. And then uh, I was asked to speak on this panel about emerging trends in the beauty industry. And uh, so there was a bunch of people from a bunch of different companies and um, also manufacturers. And so that led me into the conversation of talking about fragrance. And then I really felt that, you know, obviously my passion was around fragrance and the storytelling of fragrance, but that I felt that the industry was full of baloney and that it was hard for me to get up and to talk about my own products that I had at that time, because I was saying, you know, this fragrance is, you know, I had a fragrance called Thorn Apple, and I would, you know, talk about the nuances of this fragrance, but there was no apple in the fragrance. And I was like, while 
I understand the marketing that goes around fragrance is paramount and it's what the, the industry is built on. The transparency behind what the fragrance is actually made from, I felt needed to be more clear. And so I started talking about naturals right? and saying that I really felt that the future was going to revolve around naturals and that people would want to have more of a connection to earth and natural materials and what they could do that was beyond the cosmetic. Right. Um, and this woman from a very astute perfume house uh, said she contradicted my statement about this and said that natural perfumery was nothing more than the work of housewives and heretics. Wow. And she went on to give her reasoning for that is that natural materials are very hard to come by. They're extremely expensive. Right. They're not always consistent because they're batch to batch, meaning they're very much like the wine industry. Right. So season to season. And uh, they don't appeal to a broad audience. And so therefore, they would never be anything more than what would be really considered a hobby a hobbyist version of the fragrance industry. And uh, we got into a great row and uh, uh, the audience loved it. And um, what you know, better entertainment than that? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it was good. It was good to have a little bit of contradiction, you know, in this world. Um, and I left and feeling like I had held my own on this panel. Um, the next uh, on the way home, I remember I was really struck by what she said. And the term heretic was interesting because it felt like she pulled it. It was very strange. Like, and I don't know how much you believe in the idea of their of serendipity or there being no mistakes. But this was one of those moments where it was like of all the words that she could have chosen in the lexicon of right. language, she chose this word, which is so esoteric. Right. And so with that, I remember calling my lawyer on the way home and saying, do you think that we can trademark the name heretic for beauty? And she said to me, why in the world would you want that name? She was like, it's so esoteric. And I said, it just really feels like it fits. And it was the first time in so long that it, uh, I had this like creative spark where I was like, I saw all of it come together. I understood how I was going to talk about this company. And even though I knew that it was not necessarily a very linear path, I knew that it was the right one for me. Okay. I love that. And going back to you being a heretic and you being okay with that, what would be advice that you would give to someone who really relates to that, but might not be as bold to step out on their own yet to follow that path? I think the best advice that I could give anyone um, that doesn't necessarily feel like they fit in is that you need to lean into the things that make you uncomfortable because it's only at the point where you're the most uncomfortable that you actually grow and become totally. who you want to be. And yeah. when you start to try to force yourself into a mold that doesn't fit is when the problems start. And so right. I am a firm believer that you should let your freak flag fly <laughs> let it fly everybody yep. because and pull it out you know you know i back when i was a teenager it was not acceptable and i was really seen as an outsider and now it's a different story you know people yeah. are really being celebrated for yeah. being different and having an opinion that's their own and you know the most important thing is is that we just have to be kind to each other and yeah. celebrate each other for the beautiful human beings that we are and if we do that everything works out. Exactly. And understanding. I think one thing, because I grew up in a small town in the South, so I'm very different from everybody I grew up with, but I understand where they're coming from. And it's taken a little bit longer, but they finally are understanding where I come from. I march to the beat of my own drum. 
I do what I want to do. And especially I'm getting married. And that's come up a lot is you just have to stay the course and it's going to work out. If it's truly who you are, it's going to bring you so much joy Mm -hmm. and it's worth it. That's all I can say is my piece of advice. Nobody really probably cares, but just stay the course because it'll all work out in the end. And that's how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the era of heretic and it's about 2015. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the early days of heretic, what do you mean when you say that having a short rope worked really well? So what I mean by that is that I think in the world of um, startup businesses, um, the term short rope or having limited resources sometimes is really seen as being a detriment to starting a brand. And in my case, it actually really worked as a a benefit because when I started this brand and I was developing fragrances that were 100% naturally derived, no fragrance house would work with me. And so I was very limited on what it was that I was going to be able to do. How many no's did you hear? A million. I mean, it was all the time. I mean, it was literally, and you have to think about it too, is that most of the perfume houses that I would call, they wouldn't even entertain the idea of taking the phone call or discussing a brief because they weren't interested. Number one, even if I was doing it traditionally, they weren't interested in working in very small quantities or working in small batches. You know, they're really used to these much bigger, you know, remember at the time, if you think about winding back 2014, 2015, you know, celebrity endorsed fragrances, niche fragrance brands were kind of at their pinnacle. Um, you know, but we were still seeing a lot of celebrity endorsed fragrances at that time. And so we were seeing, you know, heavy saturation within mass, what's called mastige. And, uh, you know, these fragrance houses were getting orders for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kilos of fragrance wow. oil. So when you're talking about a small brand, you're you're talking about maybe 50 kilos of fragrance. And then we were talking about the formulation I was asking them to do was totally obscure. And so one fragrance house even said to me, they were like, our perfumers know a little bit about working with natural materials, but many of them don't work with natural materials at all. Uh, Or they work with super small concentrations of natural materials. You know, the limited resources really ended up being an attribute because I had to do things extremely avant-garde. And I was developing the fragrances on my own in my studio uh, and literally making a nut, like I would do a run of My opening order was with Barney's. They launched the brand and they said, okay, we're going to take 100 bottles of each fragrance. And I said, okay, great. So I left that meeting, went home, sat down, got my calculator out and started running the formulas. And then I blended it all in my studio. I ordered the materials. They came in. And uh, when I say my studio, I'm talking about my 650 square foot apartment on the Upper West Side. I was about to say, what did that look like? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh, And, you know, ordering the alcohol and uh, doing it exactly the way I wanted it to do because I knew exactly how I wanted this to be done. I wanted to work only with non-denatured sugarcane alcohol. No no one would do that because non-denatured alcohol meant that the alcohol was taxed as if you were going to drink it. And so they wouldn't even sell it to me in the large enough quantity because of the of the taxations that were involved with it. And I only found wow. one company that would sell it to me and I was taxed through the nose 
on buying the alcohol yeah. because they assumed that I was going to resell it as some type of distilled spirit for for consumption. Wow. Um, and the reason that I didn't want to buy denatured alcohol was there's twofold to this, but one. When people denature or when companies denature alcohol. What does that mean? So denaturing means that you add a chemical to or you add a chemical or you add a product to the okay. alcohol so that the alcohol is no longer able to be consumed. Okay. And so perfumer's alcohol is a grain derivative, which means that it's it has some grain to it and it's also some chemical. But they add denaturants to it. And the denaturants that they add to it sometimes are methanol. Uh, and methanol is also a version of gasoline. Right. And um, I just did not want to – there was a couple folds to this. So one is is that these materials that I was ordering to make the fragrance out of were so rare and so special. Right. You know, jasmines from Egypt and ouds from the Middle East. And I mean, just like these incredible materials that I was yeah. working with to blend these fragrances from. And I was spending thousands of dollars on buying these oils. And then for me, taking and putting those in this really cheap alcohol that potentially had some type of toxic element to it felt completely nonlinear. Right. So I wanted to do this where it was a very a very clear path of how the fragrance was made and made from the best materials I could get. Right. And so the non-denatured sugarcane alcohol was perfect because sugarcane also has a it's a, it almost is a neutral odor, but it has a slight I had no idea. Uh, it has a slight sweetness to it. Okay. And um the thing within the natural alcohol world is that there are so many interesting so there's wheat alcohol, there's grape seed alcohol, excuse me, there's grape alcohol sugarcane alcohol, coconut. Now they're making alcohol out of lychees. Um, and wow. the, and each one has a slightly different odor profile. So as yeah. a perfumer, you can then take and you can work with these alcohols and they already have a slight odor profile to them to build with. Right. But uh, again, it's very expensive and it's very avant-garde to do that. And yeah. I really wanted, that's the way I wanted to build this line and that I would not have been able to do that if I had gone through the traditional route of building a fragrance collection. That's incredible. And I think that's what makes Heretics so special as well, is if you smell a Heretic fragrance, it is something like you've never smelled before in the best way possible. I do want to get into your Goop era, and sure. I know you have a really great relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow. Can you just tell us a little bit about that collaboration and walk us through that process? Sure. You know, winding backwards, it was right at the beginning of when I started this brand, and uh, I had launched at Barney's, and um, I remember getting an email from uh, a colleague uh, who I had been in contact with at a magazine called Lucky Magazine. Okay. And... Uh, Jean Godfrey is. Uh, she was the editor in chief of uh, Lucky Magazine, and Jean had since taken up uh, a post at Goop as okay. they're in charge of all of their writing and content. And also, she was their curator for beauty. Um, Jean is one of the most brilliant humans I think I've ever met in my life. Just right. a wealth of knowledge and such amazing taste. And. Um, her and I had always had a really good rapport and she emailed me and said, wow, I just got this press release and I see this new collection that you're doing. It's really inspirational. I think that you should connect with Gwyneth. And I literally was like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. That's going to happen and kind of dismissed it. And right. then it was a couple weeks later, I had this email from Gwyneth's assistant and wow. he said, you know, she's going to be in New York and we would love to connect you to. And, uh, and I was 
gobsmacked. I really didn't. Right. I was like, this can't be real. And then sure enough, on a very hot August day, uh, this lovely Gwyneth Paltrow came knocking at my door and walked into my humble little apartment. And um, we it took me probably 15 minutes to stop shaking and panicking. <laughs> That's um, how I would be. <laughs> and then I realized quickly that she was completely bro. <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. She was just the most uh, like amazingly down to earth. And also I quickly realized that she was a true artist and that, um, you know, she had such incredible ideas and the way that she spoke about fragrance was so passionate and her references were so uh, juicy and rich. And we started talking about, you know, kind of dream fragrances. And I was running around my apartment and gathering like the millions of bottles that I had everywhere and talking to her about various ideas and showing her all these crazy materials. And we literally geeked out on the floor of my apartment for wow. two or three hours. And uh, she said, you know, I've always wanted to do fragrance with Goop. And uh, I, it's been a challenge because of the transparency issues with the way fragrance is made, what it's made from, right. you know, the toxic materials. And, you know, if we're going to do this with goop, I really want to do this as a natural fragrance. And I said, well, I would love it. And I would love to do that. And she said, I would like for you to be our nose for, you know, our additions one through four. Wow. And uh, so we started off that journey together. And then along the journey of building those four fragrances, I think Gwyneth and I really found uh, we we found each other, you know, right. along this journey because it's a very unique experience of making a fragrance. Right. You know, it's a lot of, you learn a lot about a person. Um, it's a, it's almost like a litmus test where yeah. you really learn, you know, the inner workings of a way who a person is, you know, right. by the notes that they choose. And, uh, she could have chosen to make these fragrances extremely commercial, but, you know, she chose to make these fragrances really stand out and right. really unique. And so that's what led us into, uh, what eventually became the vagina candle. Yes. So <laughs> I've often referred to Douglas as the man behind the vagina. He just found that out a few days ago, but that's that's cool. But you had this incredible story about when Gwyneth was picking up seaweed and you were smelling seaweed. And I would kind of love to dive into that a little deeper here because it was such a cool story and like how she was how she kind of brought in her cooking experience and the seaweed and the mushrooms. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about that and that process? Um, so the way that that all came about was we were really stumbling around with what, so additions one through four with Goop, uh, they were very much, I would say they were loosely and very much inspired by the seasons. So, you know, a spring, summer, fall, winter concept. When we were working on summer, it was a bit of a challenge because we didn't want a linear description of summer. Uh, we wanted something that was interesting and new. And so what I brought to the table in this meeting was I one of my favorite places on the planet is Big Sur. And uh, I love it because it is this really interesting cross-section of where the wild forest meets the sea. And uh, even in the the dead of summer when it's the hottest, it's still quite cool. The climate is very unique. And there seems like there's always this smell of sweet burning wood that's laced into everything. Yes. So I had pitched this idea of, oh, what about for the summer fragrance that we do this kind of coastal story about, you know, the brine of the sea and these really beautiful redwoods and the cedars and the junipers. Um, and so I had brought these materials to show and Gwyneth had her team there and we were 
smelling and I passed, I said, I'm really excited about this seaweed. And I passed around the seaweed and I smell these ingredients all the time. So I'm very used to them, <laughs> but I always forget that when someone smells these in their pure form, they're very intense. I want to smell a seaweed now. It's very intense. I never have, but I'm going to. Very intense. And it borderlines in the umami you know, world uh, with its profile, but uh, she smelled it and her immediate reaction was, oh my God, Douglas, this smells like a vagina. And we burst out laughing so hard because that was definitely not the way that the conversations went. And it was yes. just this very like visceral Startling. reaction yeah. to the fragrance. And uh, for some reason, and I mean, for obvious reasons, it stuck. And <laughs> I then for almost two years, we went back and forth with like, I would send her gifts that would have that... Um, engraved on it like it just became this kind of ongoing thing with yeah. us and the more we discussed it the more you know we realized the power behind the statement and i think that both of us have you know both gwyneth and i have such a strong interest in wanting to celebrate sexuality celebrate yeah. sensuality uh to really get people to be much more in tune with it and much more right. comfortable with it i love this part of the story too yeah and really i think listen I'm a male. Uh, as a male, it's hard to speak in this arena. It's hard to talk about the sensitivity that surrounds the term vagina. Uh, but, you know, and having so many, so many female friends around me and being so influenced by such powerful females in my life, you know, and losing my mom to ovarian and uterine cancer, uh, like all of these subjects really propelled that there's so much shame that surrounds this topic totally. and the fact that it needs to be dispelled. Like there needs yes. to be, like there needs to be more of a conversation, not only around body parts and like the fact that they should not be shameful, right? that they should be celebrated and we exactly. should be talking about what makes us happy and we should be going for checkups and there shouldn't be this kind of stigma that that's wrapped around exactly. it. So this candle, while very funny, do you know what I mean? And certainly you know, pokes a lot of humor at this subject, it really, there was a much bigger story behind it. And it was really about calling much more attention to celebrating the feminine power and about females owning the feminine power. Right. And so that's why we really wanted to come together and make this. And we were, I think both of us were quite surprised at the popularity and the fact that this kind of took on a life of its own. And we're both, you know, very proud of it and, and very happy that we were right. able to do something like this. I think when you smell that particular fragrance, it or the candle, you also have roller balls mm -hmm. with that fragrance in it as well. I think you do smell the story behind it and the passion behind it. And it speaks even farther than whatever name it was called. And it, I really like the I think it's a double entendre or however you say that. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it's such a celebration. And it's such I just congratulations on that. I mean, you don't need my congratulations, but I think it's awesome. And when I smell it, I feel so empowered myself. And I'm like, I am so happy to be a woman and to be an independent woman and a fierce woman. And that's what fragrance can do for you. 100%. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of fragrance. That's why I love fragrances, because you tell your story, but also the fragrance, it's its kind of like a, a symbiotic relationship because it's like you're telling your story, but it's also part of your story too. Absolutely. And, you know, to clarify things as well, yes. is that the fragrance of this particular candle does not have any seaweed in it, just so okay. for everyone's knowledge. <laughs> uh, the fragrance, we developed that fragrance separately. And, you know, speaking to what you were just saying, 
the fragrance was really designed to be uh, very much a celebration of the feminine. And for me, my interpretation of the feminine is, is something that is both incredibly strong and something that is incredibly soft. And right. so how do you tell that story through fragrance? And yeah. so I wanted to meld this world and kind of just speaking loosely about the fragrance. It was a combination of this kind of very soft suede notes that were wrapped around this really beautiful Bulgarian rose. Right. And uh, the two worlds together, they really complement each other. There's a freshness to it, but there's yeah. also a kind of a provocative curiosity to it. Very sensual. Definitely. I agree. All right. Talk to me about what you stand for as a brand and how you want to offer fragrances that do more than just smell nice. So what we stand for as a brand is, you know, Heretic for me was always going to be something that was bigger than just fragrance. I really wanted to create something that was more uh, that was more of a idea that someone could subscribe to than just purely about fragrance. I think that the way that we look at fragrance is going to shift radically over the next few years. And it has a lot to do certainly with the connectivity that is involved with the internet, that's involved right. with uh, this new vast uh, meta world that we're in and the way that we're connecting to brands and artists and products. Yeah. Uh, and I think that fragrance needs to go further than just being a cosmetic. So what I mean by that is that I believe very much that, you know, fragrance has this ability of being able to make us feel these amazing things. But with the way that we make fragrance is right. that we work with naturally dried materials. And these naturally dried materials, when they're in these very high concentrations, as we have them in our products, they go beyond the cosmetic. So what does that mean? That means that our products venture into this world that is aromatherapy, that is the Ayurvedic, that, that ventures into mysticism, adventures into, you know, all of these different aspects that are what we would consider holistic. And okay. so that was very important for me as this brand is being able to talk about the ingredients that are in these, these fragrances and the fact that they had a functionality that went beyond just purely the cosmetic counter right. and that these materials could help a person to connect more with relaxation or right. with motivation or with connecting to sensuality or like one of my favorite things, which is, I think, you know, a very simple ritual, but I love before I go to bed, I love right. to put fragrance on. And I, a lot of people don't, they like to be very clean, but I choose a fragrance that has materials in it that will help me relax and help me unwind my busy mind. Yeah. So that as I'm falling asleep, like a lot of times I will apply the fragrance to pillows or I'll just ap apply it onto my chest so that when I'm going to sleep at night, that I have this, this aspect that helps me drop into a state of relaxation. Would that be like lavender <laughs> Any it, others? It works. There's we have a host of different fragrances, but dirty lavender is my go-to. Dirty hinoki, uh, you know, dirty grass. Any of these oh, yeah. fragrances that work with these lavenders, the sages, the vetivers, you know, a lot of the wood families. These fragrances have shown through aromatherapy that they cause the mind to drop into a state of feeling safe, feeling grounded, wow. feeling anchored, and yeah. unwinding. And so, and then in the mornings, I always love to work with citruses because citruses yes. they they brighten the mind, they invigorate. They've been shown in clinical clinical trials to help dispel depression. Um, you know, it's a really citruses have got a really clean path. Also, a lot of the herbs uh, like rosemary, mint, they're uplifting and they cause uh -huh. uh, activity of right. the mind. And so, you know, these are kind of very 
basic boilerplate entry points to this world, but that is, I think, the next chapter in fragrance is really looking at how fragrance can connect us to mind, body, and spirit. I love that. Experience the provocative side of naturals and the dirty side of clean with a quick tour of the Heretic Fragrance line. We're about to explore dirty grass, dirty coconut, and dirty vanilla. First and foremost with the fragrances, I wanted to create a bit of a different dialogue around our fragrances. And what I mean by that is, is that a lot of fragrance companies have these really fun names yeah. uh, that are very, they're very creative, yeah. but I always felt like it was difficult for the consumer to understand what it would smell like. Right. Certainly they paint an idea through copy or for through the language exactly. about it's going to have this or it's going to have that. But I really wanted someone out the gate to look at a fragrance name and to be like, oh yeah, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Like I like exactly. I like that direction. Yeah. Uh, and try to honor that as much as I could. You so nailed it. Dirty Grass yeah. is very much that. I really wanted to capture, for me personally, one of my happy places is a lawn that has just been cut. I was just, you took the words out of my mouth. That's what it, I was going to say, like old grass that had just been like chopped. Yep. Yeah. That's what and, it smells like. And being from the South, I think you really understand yes. this. There's there's something about these big open fields when they just mow down the hay. Oh yeah. Uh, and the sun has been baking it. There's an there's an aroma is that is so on the tip intense of my nose and right beautiful. Now. Yeah. And so dirty grass, I really wanted it to honor that. I wanted it to feel uh, you know, the dirty aspect, and a lot of people ask, like, why are the fragrances called dirty? What does that mean? So the dirty for me is kind of a again, it's a bit of a double entendre, but there's the direct meaning, which is the dirty aspect. Each fragrance, I work with specific notes to give them an edge or to dirty them up, if you will. Um, I don't want them to be as linear as just being like a grass note. So I right. want to give it a little bit of something that gives it more interest and gives it more depth. But the fragrance is centered around vetiver. Um, and vetiver is a grass. Um, and it's the roots of a specific aromatic grass. And I work with that and then augment it with quite a few other materials. But it's an herbal, herbaceous, grassy fragrance. Uh, we recommend it to be layered across every fragrance that we do. And for someone that's looking for a fragrance that's clean, that's bright that that feels uh extremely masculine and feminine all at the same time dirty grass is a great one Definitely. this also has a bit of an interesting backstory was when i actually had no plans of doing a dirty grass fragrance it wasn't like i had a marketing calendar i was like i need to do dirty grass uh the fragrance the way it happened was uh i get from a lot of different uh, manufacturers that do distillations of different plant materials um, they send me samples and I got a sample from a hemp company that was doing various hemp oils. Okay. And in one of the, th the samples that they sent me was the CBD distillate. I was about to say, that's a really cool element in this fragrance. Correct. And I actually didn't even pay attention to the CBD factor. I just loved the smell of the CBD distillate. So the material itself... CBD, when you get it, it comes in many forms, but the one that I received was this crystallized brick. I mean, when I say a crystallized brick, like literally it was in this glass jar and the only way to work with it was it had to be warmed because it was a hard brick of this 
this waxy mass. Wow. And when I broke it down and started to blend it and tincture it with alcohol, the aroma was so intoxicating. I mean, it was just overwhelming. It smelled like sage and it smelled like honey and it was uh, rich and it had this kind of earthiness to it. And uh, I started just tinkering with it. And then I started adding some other materials to it to see if I could work with it. And before I knew it, I had this profile that I was like, this is so amazing. I love this. Yeah. No clue <laughs> that it had the super high it concentration of CBD. I had no clue oh until gosh. we sent it out for the testing. And then they came back and they said, this has a very high concentration of CBD. And I was like, well, of course, I added that that material into it. And then we were like, oh, this is great. Let's, let's really build this around this CBD uh, concept wow. and about the calming effects of this. Because that was always my intent was to do something that was grounding and calming. And the CBD adds this extra layer. There's a lot of questions about what is the efficacy of a CBD product that is topical. You know, of course, the topical, your skin is there to basically diffuse this. So there's a speculation about its efficacy. I personally find it to be very grounding. I find it to be very centering and very calming. You also have to remember that when you spray fragrance, you're also inhaling it, which means that it's going into your lungs, which means that it's going into your bloodstream. So these factors for me are all part of the reason why the CBD is a very important component to this particular fragrance. Yeah. And when you smell it, it's so complex, but in an approachable way almost. Mm -hmm. I, I really love it. And I now that I'm thinking, I wear it when I'm going on an errand and I'm like, gosh, I don't want to do this. I have so much to do. I spray that on and I didn't even think about it until just right now. I'm like, I've always been really calm when I wear that. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> so moving on to our second fragrance, we have Dirty Coconut and that's also available on Scentbird. And that one is really an awesome fragrance as well. This particular fragrance came out of it really was spurred by the materials. So I had a company that sent me a, uh, they one of my alcohol suppliers sent me a new alcohol that they were making that was being made from coconut meat. And so they were fermenting the coconut meat and then turning that into alcohol. That's wild. And it is crazy. That and, is wild. Uh, the alcohol was very expensive, um, but the smell was intoxicating. It had this like really incredible coconut quality, but without being sweet. Yeah. And I started thinking, huh, I wonder if I should build a coconut fragrance. It felt too commercial for Heretic. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, I do love gourmand fragrances. Maybe I could do a different spin on coconut. I just felt that the way that I personally think of coconut fragrances as being kind of that saccharine sweet right. suntan lotion concept. A little bit young. Yes. Sometimes. Not in a bad way, but not in a bad way. I wanted to see if I could I could bring my own take on this. So I worked with several different woods. There's a lot of sandalwood in this. Uh, sandalwood is pretty much the first note in this particular fragrance. And then it's nuanced with a CO2 distillation of coconut. And that coconut is used within the food industry and it's used for a lot of flavor profiles that are built. And so I use that as the component to nuance the coconut aspect. CO2, and then, and then, so like carbon dioxide mm -hmm. is infused in the coconut? That's what they use to actually break down the coconut and oh. to create the the concentration or what is considered the, the CO2 version 
of a coconut absolute. Wow. So, you know, coconut, wow. obviously we know coconut oil. Yeah. Uh, and so there's all sorts of different distillation methods, which you can get a more concentrated version of the coconut itself. And so that's yeah. where this particular material is derived from. Wow. And this particular fragrance uh, also is blended in this incredible coconut alcohol. So it is this kind of like uh, triple threat of having the beauty of this beautiful CO2 coconut, and then you have the coconut alcohol, and then it's all wrapped together in this kind of veil of sandalwood. And it's oh. creamy and delicious and sophisticated, and it feels like you're on vacation, but it doesn't feel uh, like you're wearing cheap suntan lotion. Totally. So that's your summer scent, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also great for winter as well. I love, again, you know, a great combination is taking dirty grass and dirty coconut together. Oh, These yeah. two work perfectly together. Coconut, uh, if you've got a fragrance that you like that you want to add that kind of gourmand foodie aspect to, the coconut brings a really interesting aspect to any fragrance. My personal fra favorite is uh, dirty vanilla and dirty coconut together are like oh, magic. Speaking of dirty vanilla, I'd love to move into that one. Sure. It's so – it's not like any vanilla I've ever smelled before. And – can you tell me why, I guess? Sure. Tell me tell me what's behind this fragrance. Well, vanilla, I wanted to again tell a very different story with vanilla because I think we all know that vanilla it's used and, all the time. And I was very much struggling with doing a vanilla fragrance because I felt like the last thing that we needed was another vanilla fragrance. Yeah. Um, but I wanted a touchstone that people felt like they could connect to. And so the vanilla felt like a really good anchor for people. But the story that I tell with this particular vanilla uh, is a story that is a lot more nuanced into the world of what is considered considered an amber scent profile. Okay. Now, amber scent profiles are made working with a combination of resins. So it is vanilla, certainly, yeah. labdanum or cystus, which is a Mediterranean shrub that has a very balsamic, slightly oh. spicy, sweet odor. Okay. And then benzoin. And benzoin is a cousin of the frankincense and myrrh family. It's a resin that's exuded from trees. Oh, wow. And that has a very soft, uh, very round, almost slightly powdery and balsamic quality. And the combination, each perfumer, uh, as they develop in their careers, they all tend to do their own versions of ambers. And they're like, right. it's a little bit like making a salad dressing for a chef. Do you know what I mean? It's always yeah. about the combination of their specific, like a little bit more citrus or a little bit more lime in the, the salad dressing, or that like splash of some amazing hot sauce that gives it that, that special kick. And the same thing with this particular fragrance. It is a very special combination of the materials that I built around the vanilla that give this a kind of spicy woodiness. Yeah. And I really feel like of all the fragrances, I think it really represents the dirty claim really well because it wow. smells like vanilla, it feels like vanilla, but then there's this kind of wonderful, warm, sizzling spiciness that's underneath it totally. that's quite intoxicating. I agree. I layered that. I've layered dirty vanilla and dirty hinoki today. And Gorgeous. I am just... I'm smelling good, you guys. I wish you could <laughs> smell through this camera or this microphone because, I mean, you'd want to eat me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Cut. <laughs> um. It's time for Scent Connection, Off the Wall Edition. Heather poses some off-the-wall questions, and Douglas shares whatever immediately comes to mind. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up. I no, feel I'm like I'm on the price is right. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, cool. 
So what does your aura look like? What does my aura look like? What does my aura smell, smell like? like? Okay. Or it could be both, like color and scent. Let's stick to scent because okay. otherwise this could go off uh, quickly. <laughs> Frankincense. Okay. What fragrance are you most proud of? Poltergeist. Okay. What's your proudest achievement? Oh, proudest achievement. That's a really good one. Proudest achievement. Proudest achievement. My proudest achievement is being able to exist as an artist. I love that. Your go-to fun fact. Go-to fun fact about me is that I don't think that people would anticipate that I'm as much of a gearhead as I am. What do you mean by that? I love cars and motorcycles. Okay, cool. I was like, I don't know what a gearhead is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So like, what's your favorite car? I collect vintage cars. So <gasps> I have, yeah, it's a bad habit. No way. Yeah. I was just talking about vintage cars because I'm getting married. <laughs> so I was like, I want to rent a vintage car. And my fiance was like, is that something you saw on a wedding website? And I was like, no, it's in my brain right yeah. here. That's awesome. If I had to pick one, I would say my my one of my favorite cars of all times is a 1957 Corvette. A Corvette? Yeah. Little red Corvette. Correct. Not, let, definitely keep my singing in there. Um, <laughs> what's a secret talent nobody knows about? That I have? Yes. Uh, I can play the cello. Oh, wow. Gosh, I'm going to have to hire you, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I already know this one because I preliminarily asked when we met up, but what's your zodiac sign? Oh, it's, I think, easy for anyone that's listened to this to guess, but I'm a Scorpio. When are you your most authentic self? As soon as I wake up in the morning. Okay, I agree. Very early, like typically before daylight breaks. I tend to get up very, very, very early. Oh, wow. And uh, my day starts... Uh, with a meditation and the that's when I'm very clear as to what's going on great your most out-of-body creation oh most out-of-body creation wow that's a good one so prior to launching this collection heretic I was existing in New York for a while as a visual installation artist and I did um, a series of gallery work um, that was sold that were giant eight foot by six foot pieces of art, the panels, okay. uh, that were made out of wax. And it's still one of my favorite things uh, that wow. I've ever done. And I worked for six months to develop a collection of these enormous abstract wax uh, paintings and um, I still love them. Yeah. That's really incredible. Who or what is your muse? There are spiritual, uh, there are spiritual people that are very important to me and that I would love to uh, have as a muse. And then there are uh, definitely, I would say that there's other aspects um, that tend to be more frivolous. Um, I think my favorite people uh, that I always look to for inspiration have been um, the Marquesa Casati, oh. um, the Countess Castiglione, Aleister Crowley. Um, you know, they uh, truly were very avant-garde humans, 
that existed as kind of living pieces of art and made choices that were truly about finding out who they were as a human. Um, And, uh, and then there are far more benevolent, you know, much more spiritual people that um, I also look to. So I would say that that palette is quite full. Right. Okay, great. And then two more. This is something a little different also, but we're going to play F. Mary Kill. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to what? <laughs> we're going to play F. Mary Kill, um, short for F-U-C-K. Um, okay, so F. Mary Kill, Sandalwood coconut vanilla so i choose one of these yes so one of them has to be f one of them has to be mary and one of them has to be kill okay i would have to say that i would marry vanilla i would f coconut and i would kill sandalwood killing sandalwood which is really weird because I actually really <laughs> love sandalwood, but you know that that was. I'm just gonna go with it. I took ingredients that I saw a, a few times in your in your perfumes. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm actually kind of exhausted of sandalwood right now. So I think that okay. that's, that was more of like that was very guttural. We're killing sandalwood. Perfect. And then one more F. Mary Kill, Andy Warhol, Picasso, Van Gogh. Oh my God, I would absolutely kill Andy Warhol. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd F Van Gogh. Yeah. One um, ear. In one ear. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leaves me one choice. So you're marrying, marrying Picasso. Picasso. I mean, and actually, yeah, not a bad choice. He's romantic. I mean, truthfully. Come on. Truly. He would take care of you. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Right. <laughs> okay. And then I feel like I got to do it. In your podcast with Maria, you asked her what your most or what her most erotic scent memory was. What's yours? Oh, wow. I'm really being put on the spot right now. Okay. Whoo. The question (laughs) is, (laughs) how honest do I answer this? Um, uh, Or just what does it smell like? Patchouli? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Mine would be um, sweat and tequila. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty good. Um, (laughs) I have, yes, okay. This is good. I like it. I like being put on the spot. Uh, So in my early 20s, um, I definitely had a moment maybe a few years, uh, where I was, um, I had a, a very, uh, deep fascination with BDSM and, uh, became involved with it. Oh, wow. Yes. And so I have a very distinctive, uh, very distinctive relationship with the smell of leather, um, and the smell of latex and, um, yeah, and I think it had a lot to do with you know growing up. I was uh, I was a punk rocker in my early early teens, and then kind of transitioned into my love of of uh, I guess what's really known as the gothic music movement, and uh, used to go to a lot of those those nightclubs, which there was a lot of like what I would call uh, fashion versions of BDSM that was being adopted, and then I think that spurred me in my early twenties where I was like, ah, well, what I want to explore really explore this further. And so, uh, yeah, for me, I think one of the most erotic fragrance memories I have is definitely tied to the smell of latex, rubber, and leather. Love it. 
Looking into the future, what is your biggest aspiration? My biggest aspiration, um, well, my dream is that at some point, um, and hopefully in the near future, and I'm actually trying to manifest this right now, is that I am looking to buy a piece of land uh, and I am looking to develop what would be known as Heretic House. And it would be a space where I would teach people about fragrance. We would grow the materials. Yeah. Uh, I would teach the distillation process. Um, and it would be a space where it would be a combination of not only learning the art of perfumery, right. but also this community space of being able to kind of delve into the psychological of health, wellness, and spiritualism. And I'm hoping that uh, that is something that will happen in the near future and that I can then invite people to come into that space, participate, because yeah. I believe that the best learning is by action. And, uh, and I really want to be able to bring some of these things to light and to be able to offer these experiences to people and hopefully be able to turn them on to this incredible and fascinating world. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for the very lively and uh, slightly uncomfortable at times uh, <laughs> conversation, which was really fun. That was Heather Hyatt and Douglas Little from Heretic, based in Los Angeles, California. Up next on Scent World, blend luxury and sustainability with Stephanie Shepard, the entrepreneur, television personality, and former COO of Kardashian West Brands. You've been listening to Scent World. For more unfiltered conversations with perfumers, visionaries, and fragrance lovers, follow Scent World wherever you get your podcasts. Scent World is a Scentbird original series produced by Flowship. Today's episode was executive produced by Maria Nurislamova, produced by Mike Giordani, edited by Ramiro Gava, mixed by Alex Roses, production support by Peely Melendez. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.